continuing the sermon series that we've entitled, I Wonder. And we're addressing some of the probing and toughest theological questions and issues uh, of our day and of days past. Today the topic is the will of God. And these are not easy subjects. And today to probe the will of God is in keeping uh, with the difficulty of the series. And yet the importance of it for each and every one of us. I'd like to talk about the will of God today kind of under a broader topic of God's game plan. Today we'll be looking at what God's game plan is for you and for me and for the church in general. Now it's been a few months since I have talked to you directly about the larger denominational divides. And so today I'm going to uh, inform you a bit in that we have just had a big meeting in Kansas City where 2,500 of us gathered from 14 different congregations in United Methodism from all across the globe. And I want to say to you, it was a hopeful event. And I hope that I can convey to you some of that hope that was a part of that meeting. You know, first I want to look at um, the will of God through three lenses. Now years ago, a book entitled The Will of God was written by Leslie D. Weatherhead. Weatherhead was a British Methodist preacher who served in England in the 20th century. He was a noted preacher and also author. His preaching ministry was done at the City Temple in London, and there he served for 24 years. One of his most notable books was the book entitled The Will of God, and in that book, the three lenses that he uplifts related to the will of God is God's intentional and permissive and ultimate will. First, let's look at God's intentional will. God will be seen in the story of the Bible in the Garden of Eden as a God of intentional will. There was a peace and a harmony, life and dependence on God for all that is good. And being in relationship with God and us together 24-7 was God's ultimately ultimate will, his intentional will. And when Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they were told not to eat, they rejected the intentional will of God and yielded to their own wills and their own desires. Now we know this story is the story of the human condition. For all of us are aware of God's intentional will and yet sometimes we stray from it by our own free will and our own choices. And then Weatherhead talks about God's permissive will. It is not what God wanted for human beings, but he wanted us not to be robots. He wanted not to coerce our love and relationship with him. He wanted us to have the free will to make choices. You know, the nation this past week has been focused on Dallas and much of the national news regarding a tragic circumstance that happened months ago. At least we know that bad choices were made, perhaps fueled by judgments of others based on race, 
that had been instilled. And one innocent man tragically died in his own apartment and a woman's life has been ultimately destroyed by her own free will and choice. She's obviously full of regret. And again, we have seen focused on our city the divides of the larger nation and issues related to racism have been highlighted. So oftentimes when we live into our own will and against God's intentional will, we come to regret our choices. And finally, Weatherhead uplifts the ultimate will of God. We can read the last two chapters in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, the 21st and the 22nd chapters, and we can see an expansion of the Garden of Eden into a, a new heaven and a new earth where there are a lot more people. At the very end of things, where God is ultimately taking us through His intentional will, is to a place that is described in the book of Revelation where God will dwell with us and that we will be God's people. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Today I want to talk about God's intentional will as God's game plan for you and me and a hope for the world. And not only that, but God's intentional will related to the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the 12th chapter in the book of Romans. I'm going to read beyond the first two verses through the 13th verse. So let's stand for the reading of the Bible. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the, compassion, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, 
extend hospitality to strangers. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now here is the centering verse that I think will come up on the screens. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In other words, let the Holy Spirit transform you by changing the way you think so that you may fully embrace God's game plan. God's intentional will. Now first let us acknowledge that scripture uplifts the gifts that we have and the diversity of those gifts in the body of Christ as a key element of what is the body of Christ. Paul in a Uh, In his letter to the Corinthians, he states quite clearly this description of the body that he keeps coming back to. And again, here in Romans, Paul said, The eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. Or the foot can't say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It takes all of us to make the body whole. Diversity in the body of Christ is part of God's plan and God's intentional will. Paul says it over and over, we're just not all the same. All of us are not the same and all of our churches are different. The mission may be the same, but the way we approach that mission may be very different. In pursuing God's game plan and playing... um, In the field of the world, it is important to understand that our individual gifts are valued. We have gifts that that differ according to grace given to us, Paul says in the book of Romans. It is God's game plan for you and for me to constantly look for opportunities to freely choose to use our gifts for the good of our sisters and our brothers. Secondly, I want to mention that there is a slogan in this passage that we read today that is the slogan of the church, that is the unifier of the church. In looking at this this past week, I was reminded of years ago, one of our, uh, uh, our favorite activities was watching our son Zach play baseball when he was in high school. And Zach was on a select team uh, one summer called the Dallas Patriots, and they had 50 ball games that summer. Whoa. And before every game, before the players took the field to play their uh, positions based on their unique abilities, there was always said a statement together before they went on the field. And that statement was, all for one and one for all. United we stand, divided we fall. And then they would take the field. Paul had a slogan too that we read in this 12th chapter of Romans. Did you get it? I want us to engage in kind of a little litany as this will come up on the the screen. I'm going to do the part of the leader and I want to ask you to do the part of the people. So as the leader, I will say, Let love be 
hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with Outdo one another in Well, that was pretty good, except for my mistake. Now are you ready to take the field? You know, we're not all catchers, we're not all pitchers, we're not all first basemen or center fielders. We are a team with different gifts and graces. We are a United Methodist Church with different churches, with different gifts and graces in different places all across this country. And finally, I want to say this. I think that it's really important for us to understand that we are not to be conformed to the world. And we have to know that the, church is a, the church's opponent is not flesh and blood. We should not point to other brothers and sisters in Christ as our opponents. We have but one opponent in the church, and the opponent is evil. Have you seen the opponent lately? Would the opponent recognize the church as a threat? Did you hear me? Would evil recognize the church as a threat? Or would evil scoff, scoff at our apathetic um, ways that lead us into choices? that divide us and cause us to go to our corners of rightness. The church we are called to live into is the church of God's intentional will, not our own desires. The church that we are called to live into has to see the only opponent as the opponent of evil. And we should see not only Sister and Brother United Methodists as being against that opponent, but churches of other denominations. The body of Christ is a broad body of Christ. We're not enemies. We're on the same team. And our opponent is that which works against the intentional will of God. So personally, we become aware of, of another or ourselves being lured into the abuses of our own bodies through drugs and alcohol and other substances, or we have these overwhelming influences that come upon us and try to attack us and beat us down. And when we see this in the life of another, or we see it in our own lives, we need to rally around one another with that slogan that we said earlier. Oh, we're on the same team. Our opponent is evil. That which destroys, that which intends to defeat the intentional will of God. We as Christians are empowered by the Holy Spirit to seek God's intentional will for each and every sister and brother in the body of Christ. And when we see the evil of classism and racism and sexism, we have to hit these forces with all that we have. We have to call for unity within the church beyond our own denomination to attack these issues that Christ also would have us attack. 
We have to realize the force of evil telling God's children that we are less than precious. And we have to unite to loudly attack that voice. When we see injustices going on and we see blindness to human need, we have to open our eyes and open the eyes of others by acting decisively. When we can expect in and we can expect the empowerment of the Holy Spirit when we seek God's intentional will as we address the ills of our society and that which works against God's will. Sometimes people join hands with evil without even knowing it. Even the church can do this when it and when it does, it needs to be called out and it needs to be called to repentance. How do we attack evil when it raises its head? In God's game plan, in God's intentional will, we attack with goodness and with kindness. We attack with prayer and worship. We attack with words that confront and expose and we attacked with acts of love and mercy and justice. That's God's intentional will. This past week, with 2,500 United Methodists from churches all over the United States and even on the global scene, there were 1,400 congregations represented as centrists, as we're called, or progressives uh, too and we gathered in Kansas City at the Church of the Resurrection as I said it was a beautiful meeting I think all who were there were, were, were really filled with hope because there was uh, there was no venom being spewed related to those who may not see eye to eye with us only uplifting of the mission and the direction we believe God would be taking us now, as I mentioned, we don't need to um, dwell on the ills of the domination, nor do we need to be misinformed or not informed. So I want to share with you that there were those who were not very well represented there in Kansas City who would be labeled as traditionalists, who do not want to see the church um, made up of people who hold differing views that they would see anti to scripture and apart from their theological world, largely related to the inclusion of LGBTQ sisters and brothers. As you know, others and I have been working on keeping our denomination together, believing that it's okay to find yourself in a larger church with people who have different approaches. The church is different in Dallas, Texas than it is in Monrovia, Liberia. The church is different in um, the Pine Hills of Georgia than it is in the streets of San Francisco. And the church has always been this way. The United Methodist Church may be the most diverse mainline denomination that has ever graced the face of the earth in the numbers that we have in our family. Some 12 million from all across the globe. Some want no part of staying together as United Methodists. And some in our more 
conservative coalition are selling a plan that's called the Indianapolis plan or the Indy plan that really does dissolve the United Methodist Church as we know it under the, the topic of an amicable separation that is said not to be like a divorce but more like the birthing of children. But none of these children can be named United Methodists. The cross and flame cannot be heralded by any of these new denominations that we would be forced into by vote. The traditionalists make up about 25% of the denomination in the United States. And the moderates or centrists would make up a large swash of the United Methodist Church. In fact, Lover's Lane would be a good example of such a church known as a centrist church. Neither leaning hard far to the right, hard far to the left, but a church that is made up of a diversity of people, eclectic in our theological, political, and social views and beliefs. The only way that the minority voice won the day in St. Louis was in joining hands with a more global church made up of our African sisters and brothers and those from the Philippines and some, a few from Europe, namely those from Russia. And they really sold that the centrist and progressives are those who are wanting to change the church radically related to scripture and stirred fear. Under the message, we have to keep our United Methodist Church traditional. Now recently, this Indy plan that divides the church into groups was taken to Africa, to Nairobi, to a group for our sisters and brothers there. And um, the plan was sold as we're going to become three different denominations. And you get to come with us, they said. And the boards and agencies will go with the centrists. That's us. And the Africans cried foul. Now listen to me. They said in the first place, we had nothing to do with forming this plan. We were just told about it. And secondly, we love being United Methodist with other United Methodists across the globe. And thirdly, we love our boards and agencies and what they do in enforcing our mission is very important to us. And fourthly, we will not be told where we are aligning and where we are to go. And fifthly, we will not continue to be treated as mere votes. And that is increasingly what it feels like. And finally, we will not dissolve the United Methodist Church. So the plan looked like disillusion to them too. And it smacked of neo-colonialism. And they said loudly and clearly, stop it. Stop it. Undergirding colonialism is, in whatever age that it has presented itself, has, it, has as its root cause racism you know I believe with my whole heart the United Methodist Church has a future 
And if we're going to live into our mission and transform the world for Jesus Christ, we have to listen to our sisters and brothers in Africa and the Philippines and in Europe. And we have to ask them for help. We need to request that they hear us on how hurtful so many of our words are in our book of discipline. We need to shout with them, no disillusion of our denomination. No plan that calls for the division and the splintering of our church. We need to ask the Africans and other global leaders to help us form a plan that will allow for as much unity as possible in the United Methodist Church. And we need to continue to rally around our missional boards and agencies and fund global missions generously. And we need to work for the U.S. to be its own regional conference among other equal entities as regional conferences globally. And we need to name colonialism, both from the right and from the left and from the center, as being what it is, a dehumanizing approach to our ways of government. People are not votes. They should not be told without input or a seat at the table the direction they're called to go. Now, some of you may say, I wished we didn't talk about this. Me too. The alternative is for you just to be surprised one day. But here is what I would hate to see happen to the United Methodist Church. Now, don't raise your hands. How many of you consider yourself to be traditional and would vote to be a traditional church here at Lover's Lane? Don't raise your hands. You may raise them in your, you know, kind of. How many of you would vote to be a centrist church? How many of you would vote for us to be a progressive church. Now look around. Wouldn't you hate to see someone go another direction and not be part of this Lover's Lane United Methodist Church in all the richness of our diversity? Me too. I heard you. You didn't say anything, but I heard you. We are a church called to be who we are and let those who have more traditional views be who they are and those with more progressive views than us be who you are. For it's a mission that brings us together of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Hey, did you hear it? Transformation of the world. We cannot be conformed to a world that is so divided. We're called to transform the world by the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're called to live the example of what it means to be leaven in the loaf and light as a city set on a hill and and the salt that brings flavor to life. This is not our choice. This is the intentional will of God that the church is called to live into. 
And it's not always comfortable. And it's certainly not easy. But I dare say, I don't want to be a part of a church that draws a circle and says, everybody in my church has to be like this. You know why? You can never draw the circle small enough. Amen.